Good morning. It's a joy to get to be back in this space and open God's Word with you today. Today we're going to continue the Seven Deadly Sins series you all have been walking through, looking at gluttony, gluttony to moderation. Now, gluttony is often thought of in terms of food and drink, but it's far larger than that. We can be gluttons for a whole range of things. We can, to use it as a verb, glutton after things, things we long for, we desire. We have an appetite for other things more than simply food and drink. So today I'd like to suggest we consider gluttony not simply as eating or drinking too much, not simply as a movement towards self-control around food and drink, but a misorientation, a wrong prioritization of aspects of our life. Gluttony is placing something before God. So some of you may have come in this week thinking, well, gluttony? I'm not a glutton. I've got that food thing under control. I don't know how this would impact my faith, my life, how I serve God. And I'd say I'm sorry for ruining that assumption, but I'm not. Because we all have things we glutton for and after. Things we place before God, things we have an appetite for. Things we long for or after. And today, Paul, in his first letter to the church at Corinth, provides us with some ways to consider moving from gluttony to moderation. Some questions to ponder, some measuring sticks, if you will, to consider around what we glutton towards, and if it needs to move towards moderation or perhaps non-existence in our lives. Does the thing, the action, a physical object, a feeling, a power we glutton towards, chase after, use as an attempt to fill a void only God can fill, is it done for God's glory? Is its end, is its telos the glory of God? So before we turn to Paul's letter this morning, Take a minute, ponder, what are some things that may be things you glutton after in life? Not necessarily bad things, just things you place too much value on or spend an inordinate amount of time worth. Maybe it's the binge-worthy section of Netflix or Hulu. Maybe it is certain foods. Maybe it's athletics, fandom, school, work, power, control. Things in and of themselves that are not bad. God has given us things in this life to enjoy, but when they're corrupted and not for God's glory, then we see why this is on those boards. So what might this be? What might you individually or as a larger part of a system you're in, what might you glutton after? With that in our hearts and minds, Let's turn to God's word and Paul's writing and guidance to the church at Corinth. Not to try to make this text speak only to gluttony or to just speak to the topic of the day, but to hear what God's word is saying to God's people today. So as we prepare to hear God's word, let us pray. Holy God of grace, you have made us for yourself And our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Open our hearts and minds today as we come to your word. 
that we might see what other things we chase after and try to rest in other than you. Still our frantic minds, settle our busy hearts and open our ears, that we may hear your word and not what we want it to say, but what you are saying. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from 1 Corinthians, chapter 10, verses 23 to 33. All things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Do not seek your own advantage, but the advantage of the other. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the grounds of conscience, for the earth and its fullness are the Lord's. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it out of the consideration for the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I mean the other's conscience, not your own. For why should my liberty be subject to the judgment of someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why should I be denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God, giving no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, so that they may be saved. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. So whatever you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Everything. Absolutely everything. Whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. So that we seek the advantage of the other, so that our witness is faithful, so that our faithfulness to God's call, our faithfulness to love of God and love of neighbor, and our faithfulness to do everything for God's glory may be true, good, and pure. And while Paul is specifically talking about meat sacrificed to idols, not some ancient commentary on food allergies or dietary restrictions, but a witness to the early church because of the Jewish law. And while that may not be our primary concern today, his same lesson speaks to us of how there are other things we offer to modern idols. In our Western culture, we often don't talk about sacrificing things to idols. We don't have idols in the same way the Greco-Roman culture Paul's addressing did. But we do have idols. They just have different names. They're objects. They're things. They're whatever we place in front of God. And our gluttony, our longings and appetites for things are often an idolatry. Placing something, a love of something due to God in another thing. Placing adoration and glory due to God in something else, in other things, so as we fill our life and our time and our credit card statements with anything but God. Our gluttony, our appetites for other things, our longings for other things 
so often get in the way of living faithfully. As things become idols, as we identify ourselves, the core of our identity in these other things, rather than the truth that we are first and foremost children of God. And many of these things we long after, they aren't bad things. Many of the things you may have thought of or are thinking of now aren't bad. Many are gifts from God, but they can be misused and abused and manipulated. Maybe it's the hard worker, the oft-called overachiever, whose diligence and discipline is great, but work has become the end-all, be-all. Success is everything, and if you just work hard enough, you can get that next thing. Maybe it's a recreational activity, a TV show, a video game, scrolling through Twitter or Facebook or something else on our blue backlit devices. Reading. Any of these things, good in the right amount, can become idols. Means of distracting us. Trying to feel some sort of wholeness or ignore the lack of wholeness. Only God can address. Maybe it's sports. Following them or playing them. I think many, if not all of you know, I'm a huge Cubs fan, which is not necessarily a bad thing, though often a sad thing. And being a fan, though, isn't bad unless it becomes the end of everything. When your attention cannot be fully on wherever you are if a game is happening, even if you're not watching it, you're thinking about it, when every day's schedule is built around missing the smallest amount of the game possible, when everything becomes about when the game is, what the schedule is, where the standings are at, which for most of you probably isn't 162, hopefully more, Cubs games a year, But fill in your college or pro team, or maybe it's no sports team at all, academic or career success, power in jobs or politics or relationships, a political agenda. Maybe it is a food or a drink. Maybe it's spending time with certain people. The list goes on and on. Fill in the blank. But note, none of these things are inherently bad. The earth brings forth food and drink for us to enjoy and to sustain us. Community is a gift. Academics and sports and TV and games, these are all good things when done in moderation and with the criterion that Paul lays out. These criterion can show if something isn't necessarily bad, just needed in moderation, or sometimes if something is simply so corrupted, we need to cut it out entirely. Sexual intimacy, for one, in a covenantal marriage relationship is a beautiful gift for those who are called to marriage, but can so easily be corrupted and warped in ways that make it not even acceptable in moderation. So let's turn to Paul's guidance and admonition. And through examining his guidance, see what good things should be enjoyed and cherished we should thank God for in moderation— what things maybe we need to seriously reorient to engage faithfully, and what things maybe need to be cut altogether. Paul sets out three criteria concerning this, all focused on the end and the direction of these actions, how they must be directed to God and to God's glory, love, and praise, how the pursuit in the end must be love of God and love of neighbor. So the three points Paul lays out are, one, we should work for the advantage of others, not ourselves. 
Two, the action should be a faithful witness. And three, everything must be done for God's glory. To the first point, that all should be done for the advantage of others, not ourselves. Now, I don't think Paul is saying here, never do anything for yourself or to do self-care or rest or Sabbath. Indeed, we often ignore that and that becomes an idol itself. But our actions should take into consideration how they impact other people. Especially those who are in riskier situations. But how often do we consider the ripple effect, the impact of some of the actions we take? How the things we long after impact others? For example, say you love shopping, whatever it may be. Do you think about where the thing comes from, how it's produced? Is it being produced in a situation where people are forced into labor or it's unsafe? Does it harm creation? Or is it made in a way that supports life and flourishing? And that's for any number of things we do today because when we don't pay attention, we can harm others and not look to their advantage. And none of this is to petrify our actions, but something to be cognizant of, to consider in this conversation. As Paul tells us to look to the advantage of others. We have to consider this. Not necessarily as a binary way to think about it, but to consider if the thing we glutton after, the thing we long for, does it harm others in our love for it? Does the thing we glutton after the thing we have that longing for, does it harm others in our love for it? The second piece of guidance that Paul offers is that we must care about the impact of this longing on our witness. How we long after things, where we place things before God, how does it impact our witness to our faith? Know that Paul in his passage doesn't care if the Christian eats the meat sacrificed to idols. It's just meat. It's the false god. It's sacrificed to doesn't matter. doesn't change that it's meat. He's not concerned about the Christian in that situation. He's not worried if the person eats the meat unless they know it's sacrificed to an idol. But still his concern isn't for them because they know it, but because of their witness. How it impacts the other. Paul is clear he does not want our conscience subject to the other. Why should my liberty, he asks, be subject to the judgment of someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why should I be denounced for that which I give thanks? Which you could easily say, now wait a minute, Nathan. As long as I'm thankful for the thing I'm longing after, Paul doesn't really seem to care that much. Why should I be denounced for that which I give thanks? Which... It's a fair retort, I'll grant you. But Paul isn't actually worried about you being denounced for it. He's worried about the impact it has on the other person. Paul is, in fact, affirming sort of the goodness of the thing in this situation longed for, but worried about its witness to the gospel. How does it impact our message of the gospel here? Some of these things may not be as public as eating meat. So maybe the question is, if the energy you exert, the money, the effort, the time, etc., that we spend longing after something we're known, 
what would that say to our witness to the gospel? How would it impact how people see our faithful living to the gospel? What would it say about what is important to our God? What would it say about what is important to our faith? What does that witness do concerning how important faith is in our life? What does it mean about God's transformative work in us? What does it indicate that we belong to, who we belong to? What God does it suggest we serve? What does it do to our faithful witness to Christ? That thing, or the few things you may glutton after, how would it impact your witness? Maybe, possibly, you think it wouldn't at all, and in most situations, you may be right. But the question is still important, because it drives at Paul's final point, the key point of what is the end of these actions and longings. How it needs to be, how it must be, doing everything for the glory of God. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God, Paul tells us. Whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Everything. This should, it must, it needs to be the end. Because friends, if our actions are based on giving glory to God, then we are rightly orienting ourselves in God's direction. Then we are focused on God. So everything else falls into its proper placement. If we are cognizant of doing everything for God's glory, living into our truest, fullest, God-bestowed identity as children of God by the Spirit, then we're turning away from various idols, turning away from the various ways we corrupt things, turning away from the abuse of others, turning away from that sin. And turning to the truth that we are called into. Love of God and love of neighbor. Now doing everything for God's glory, moving to moderation, isn't always a conscience thing. Conscious thing. It is a conscience thing. And I think obsessing over this plays into the idea that some work we do is more for God's glory. Or there's this holy hierarchy of things we could do. That person works for nonprofit. You know, Stephen's a pastor, and I do, you know, something else. I work in manufacturing, plumbing. I teach. I stay at home. But the idea that some of us have jobs that is less holy than others is absurd. We're all with our giftings and lives and situations to do whatever you do for God's glory. Whatever situation you're in, whatever profession, career, whatever gifts God has given you in life, in school, in work— it's what we're called to do as children of the covenant. No matter our age or career or ability. So if we do everything for God's glory, if that is the end, the goal, then all of these good things, all of those things, like Paul says, are done in thankfulness, then all good things in moderation is great. Maybe there is a food or a drink or a game or a sports team or an app that you enjoy. Maybe you long after success. In work, in school, music, athletics, whatever it is, if done in moderation, if we consider the advantage of others, and if ultimately the end is God's glory, then indeed all of these things are gifts that we're called to enjoy. 
to give thanks for these joys when these things are in their proper place. They're not bad things. We enjoy them as gifts of grace offered to the world. So we enjoy them, but in their right place, not as God or instead of God, not as that thing we need that we long after, the thing we belong to, not as our identity, but to the right end, living for Christ, enjoying gifts in life, removing those that are not good, and enjoying in moderation those that are. Friends, gluttony to moderation is not simply about self-control. It's not simply about eating less cake, drinking less pop, playing an hour less of a game, being cautious in spending. It's about rightly orienting all of our life, our time and our money, and the things we enjoy towards God. Giving thanks to God for all the good gifts of life and doing all things for God's glory and to glorify God. To praise not something that was created, but the Creator who calls us to himself, who calls us into relationship with him, to lives of wholeness and faithfulness. Lives where everything, everything, everything is done for the glory of God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, you have made us for yourselves. And our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Lord, help us to prayerfully consider and show us those things that we long for, we glutton for, that we place before you. Open our eyes. And by your Spirit, lead us into faithfulness to enjoy the gifts you give us in their proper place and to do all things for your glory. We praise you and bless you for making us your children and for calling us into this life. Strengthen us as we go forth to live faithfully. Amen.